0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org privacypiracy. Hey Murray, what's our show about today?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of new things coming up in privacy and we are so excited to again have Patty Titus on our show. She's on she's been on several times. I happen to admire her. She's a wonderful mentor. She's just a top dog and we were lucky enough to spend some time together as fellow board members on this Uh, 3M Visual Privacy Console where I got to know her more. Not only is she brilliant but she is funny as heck and so much fun but she also can really teach us a lot and I want to tell you a little bit about her. If you haven't heard her before listen up because she is something else. Patty Titus is the Chief Privacy and Information Security Officer at Markel Corporation and she joined Markel Corporation in January of 2016 as the Chief Information Officer and then added another hat and a big hat, so to speak, uh, as of Chief Privacy Officer in January 2017. So she has the responsibility for ensuring the security and the privacy of Markel's information assets and the protection of its customers' information. Previously, Patty was the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Freddie Mac and at Symantec, at Unisys Corporation, and the Transportation Security Administration within the Department of Homeland Security. And she was focused on transforming, implementing, and maintaining robust IT security programs, which is very high risk stuff, very scary, but she is one brave, gorgeous woman. And I am just so thrilled to have her join us today. So thank you again, Patty, for coming on the show.
2: Oh, Mar, you know, I love to be on your show. It is such a great opportunity. So thank you so much.
1: So, you know, I think it's so important that women know that they can get into this field. So, first of all, you have a wonderful story about your dad and how you became such a techie and got excited about this kind of stuff. Kind of share that with my audience.
2: Yeah. So, when I was a, a little girl, I'm the youngest of five children, which means... Um, you have to really be a survivor, which probably is why I fit so well in this career field. So I feel like I'm totally a survivor. Um, and my father really thought it was important for his daughters, of which he had three, myself being the youngest, uh, that we we had to make sure that we knew how to uh, change our own tire tune up our own cars, gap our own spark plugs. Um, and so you would constantly find me working on cars with my dad. That was like the favorite, my favorite thing to do. Aside from I grew up in Minnesota, so there was a lot of fishing and things like that that went on. Um, but he wanted to make sure that we were independent and that we could take care of ourselves in some of those areas that kind of were more like for the boys versus for the girls.
1: Hmm. And so how is it that you – decided to really get into this field as you got older? What what was it that drew you into the field of security and privacy?
2: Well, of course, when you're growing up and, and um, you know, you, it was all the, the spy stuff during the Cold War and the security was really exciting. And um, I was actually in talking to my male friends in this field, they said, you know, you can do IT, you can do it. And so really the encouragement that I got um, mostly from my male counterparts, because this really is a male dominated career field, even still today, hard to believe we're in 2019 and we're still have career fields dominated by males. But um, It was just exciting to me um, to think that I could be in high tech and I could participate in security in in a a level – that a lot of other women don't get to do and let alone people. So back way back when I first started in this field, it was such an incredible opportunity and I'm a risk taker. So I think that probably had something to do with it, Marie.
1: Yeah. So we're on the campus here at the University of California Irvine and there are, you know, a a, a big push in technology and business, and so what? What kind of advice would you give the women that are excited to hear what you're doing and would like to do it, but are a little reticent?
2: Well, so one of the organizations that I belong to, it's called the Executive Women's Forum, and it's really tailored toward women in risk management, privacy, and security, um, and it it attracts all levels of of women. Um, from executives to people just getting started. Um, and I think it's important to ground yourself with with people that are on the same journey that you are on, meeting the same headwinds and dealing with the same tailwinds. And um, that particular forum gives people a great opportunity, uh, for first for learning, um, outstanding material at their annual conference. They have an online presence, so you can be constantly connected. There's rooms that you can start conversations. You can ask your peers. So it really has a good online presence. Um, but just that, uh, what I love is the annual meetings where we get together and we network. And that, to me, is like old homeschool. That's where I get to see all my girls that have been in, in this uh, on this journey with me, Almost since the beginning, I've I've belonged to EWF since 2008, and it's just such a great—it's such a great opportunity. And they have a cyber school challenge where we go into the school systems in Arizona um, and the elementary school level, and we teach an online safety program. So it really is just all around a great opportunity for women to be grounded in a field that either they're new in it or they've been in it for a while and they, they want to find some sisterhood.
1: Yes, yes. So that is the Executive Women's Forum. And what do you happen to know the website for that?
2: I do. It's ewf USA.
1: Okay, so the students listening in that are interested in in these kinds of uh, programs can join even as like a student, as a college student? They
2: can. There is an online membership. Um, They certainly can, though.
1: Perfect, perfect. So tell us what it's like to be a woman in this field—that's mostly men. When you when you go to conferences that are you know high tech conferences for security and for privacy—and I know that you go to those things all the time—I um, know for the privacy officers, it ha- we do see a lot more women. We see probably equal, but not in the security field. Is that right?
2: That's true. There there really are um, there really aren't many women. And and even less as you get toward the executive level, um, and and what we want to do is try to encourage women um, to come into this field. It it is very exciting. It is constantly changing, um, and you constantly um, are active, and you're you're never you're never lonely, and you're never not busy. Oh, I was <laughs> going to say are some things that are nice. Um, as far as being a woman and and at the conferences or in this career field, you know, I never really distinguish my. I guess I don't distinguish myself as um, I'm a woman and he's a man. Really, we're team players, and that's the best part about being in this field: is everybody is in it for good in good intent and good purpose, and um, and. I don't think people treat each other any different um, because you're a man or a woman. Now I will say there's been challenges in the past at, at uh, large security conferences where w- the conference itself was really tapered you know, and tailored toward the male um, attendees. And a few years ago, some women got together and said, we've had enough. And they wrote a nice letter to the conference organizers, and the conference organizers changed the structure of the conference so that it was it was more equalized um, and I think women have to speak up when yes. they see that there is a there is a a noticeable difference where it looks degrading toward women when that's when we need to stand up and and say, "Okay, enough, this is not right." And, um, you know, you want to do it, you know, not that you have sour grapes, but that, you know, we want to equalize the playing field because if we don't and we continue to cater to the male uh, professionals, we're doing a disservice to the women who may look at the profession and say, I really want to do that, but do I really want to be treated that way?
1: Right, right,
2: exactly. So it can be a challenge, but... I think when we when we have a strong voice together, we are going to we're, we're going to make change happen. Yes. I mean, all the way across the, the women's movements that are happening right
1: now. Right. Well, I mean, we see this in the legal profession. I was just reading a recent study about women in the legal profession, um, you know, Coming out of law school there's actually more women but they're less partners and paid less. And so again, that's that whole point of saying, Wait a minute, you know, we can do this and we can do it with finesse and grace and make the same money and do the same work and be as successful. And you're a great example. You're yes, you're a great example. <laughs> oh,
2: thanks, Mari. I think one one thing that um, I think is important for us women in this field is that we have to remember that you don't have to do you have you don't have to be a man to do a man's job that we can be women and do the same job that the men can do and I feel like that was what was instilled in my mind when I was a young girl from my father
1: yes And I think the other thing that, that women bring to the conference table and bring to the collaboration in a business is that they can really collaborate with other people. They're not competing all the time, which is, you know, more of the uh, testosterone that's, (laughs) you know, that, that engages men in a little bit more competition. You're there to collaborate. So for a company, especially to have a chief privacy and a chief um, security officer collaborating with marketing and collaborating with all of the different areas, um, it's really important that everybody gets on board and I think because you are who you are, that's why you're so successful. And I think the other beautiful part about it is, is most people are either a privacy officer or a security officer and you're both. You're the chief both. So h- how, does, how does that convergence work? So I I think we're
2: starting to see a bit of a movement in this field where, uh, depending on the vertical market, depending, I mean, there's several contributing factors that have led to the success of this program at Markel, and that is the convergence of the two based on our business really is around privacy data. We collect data from customers who need insurance. And um, we're seeing so much of a convergence of the tools, the business processes, and uh, between privacy and security coming together and really kind of coalescing. Um, It's been fascinating to watch the General Data Protection Regulation um, and now the California Consumer Privacy Act as we start to watch these requirements come out, the requirements have a technical aspect to them that largely sits in the privacy office or in the security office, excuse me. And then there are the processes and the policies that have to be written in order to drive that repeatable and defendable process when you're adopting these regulations. So for me, it's been a great opportunity, you know, building a security program and then pulling the privacy pieces into it. I think it's why we've been so successful at the program here Um And and being able to respond to the regulations and being able to respond to our customers that, you know, we're doing everything we can to protect their data.
1: Right. And the fact that as the privacy officer knowing how to put these policies into place, you know how they are really going to be Enacted technology-wise too, so that makes a lot of sense to me. That uh, you really have that that dual understanding. That otherwise, if you have a privacy officer and a security officer, they have to really be like twins. They really have to work together very closely. So. Uh, you can have your left side of your brain and your right side of your brain talk to each other all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they can. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you think, now you're in the insurance industry, so um, you want to give a little plug about what Markel does. I know you said they're insurance. Can you tell a little bit more about the company? So we
2: are a Fortune 500 company. We are, um, we are, about 4,000, 5,000 people on the insurance side of the company. And then there is the investment and in the ventures side of our company as well. Um, so we are the world's largest, I, I think we're the premier specialty company, um, which means we do unusual insurance. We, we kind of say we do everything but healthcare and cars. But I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because we do have a reinsurance business. So Markel is uh, a, a well-kept secret, <laughs> um, but we are often the, insurer, the insurers and the underwriters of, uh, say, uh, you want to buy a policy, uh, an insurance policy for your horse or for uh, your motorcycle or your classic car. Uh, those are the types of insurances that we have, unique and different. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're highly successful at it. Obviously, we're a Fortune 500. Right. Um, and so so that's a little bit about the company.
1: And so um, that's you have to collect information about your customers. And so how do you think that what you've done by putting those two together, the two hats, the security officer and the chief privacy officer together, how do you think that can benefit other companies who might want to take this move?
2: Um, I, think, I think it's important that we understand that while I have the privacy officer title and the CISO title, that there is a whole bunch of people that support the success of both programs. And so when you're looking, when a company is looking at converging the two organizations together into one, one of the most important things to think about is what is the support going to be? to make that person su- successful. So on the chief information security officer side, that's the part of my brain that I've done over and over repeatedly. It's like wash, rinse, lather, wash, <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat, right? And and so that piece of it, my I have muscle memory there. The privacy side of it, I don't have the legal background, Mari, that you have and others. So the lawyer in me needs... Isn't there. So I need the people that have that legal background who can interpret the law and the regulations to be able to help me ensure that we are putting in plain language, which sometimes I feel like an interpreter. Right. We put in plain language what the regulations mean and then what does that mean to the company and what are the potential investments or business processes that need to change in order to support that. So Markel has been so supportive of me on the legal side, both in our U.S. operations, U.S. and Bermuda operations, as well as our international divisions in Canada, that without that success and and support from our legal entity, there is absolutely no way I could be successful at this. So if a company is looking at it, think about that support structure. What's your operational model going to look like? and have a strategy before you build the structure. So have a strategy about what you want these converged programs to be so that then you can choose what's the right structure. Um, What I find is companies will go out and they'll structure themselves, and then they try to figure out what their strategy is going to be. and That's a recipe for disaster.
1: Right, right. So – in keeping with the privacy conversation, let's go back a little bit now and talk about you brought up the European Union's uh, general data protection regulation and that's similar to our California Consumer Privacy Act um, what what do you think the implications are for states adopting what you know what we have in California and what is similar? To the GDPR.
2: Well, I, first of all, I think it's going to be super expensive for a lot of a lot of companies, and I think the states that look to adopt that, you know, it's absolutely the right thing. Um, having people consent for their data to be shared, um, I think the situation that happened with face, Facebook was unfortunate, but it really showed the level of information that's being sold or made available to others to perform analytics. Um, I do get a little bit concerned, though, that um, we are consumers of convenience. We want things convenient. And when you go to a website and it says, we collect your cookies, click accept, and if you click no, Sometimes the websites become unavailable.
0: Right, right. And so
2: people will be driven to, to experience what they want to experience online. They, they may be driven artificially to accept something so that they can have the convenience without really thinking through the implications. Um, and I also think people have become a little bit uh, numb because it's data breach after data breach after data breach, right. and people have gotten letters after letters after letters, which make them g- g- feel like their d- their privacy data is already out there. Right,
1: right. Um,
2: and
1: they and feel so, impotent. Yeah, they feel impotent to do anything about it, really.
2: And it, you know, so so what is the answer? And and I've read a lot of material about. Um, how do we how do we fix this problem with, you know, people's Social Security numbers are out there and their bank account numbers, which the bank account numbers are easier to change. You change a bank account number and, um, you know, that seems to correct itself or your credit right. card is stolen. You get a new credit card. But how do you fix the human identifier, that unique identifier to the human? Right. That's going to be the ultimate challenge. So we created social security numbers many, many, many years ago thinking we were solving a problem, not thinking about what would happen to the world in 2010. Right. <laughs> so we, we've we now spent the last decade of basically, I, I, I refer to it as the decade of data exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the things that are going to be innovated to help us figure out how to solve the problem, do we move to biometrics? Um, with biometrics, has its own issues. Right. Do we, you know, there's what? What will be the next big wave to at least get us through another couple decades of protecting our personal information? Right. But I, I, don't, I don't think any of these regulations come without a cost, and the cost will be pushed back onto the consumers. So I think there are implications based on the states that they have to think about um, how much of this do we actually do and um, how far do we take it. And, and California has always been a leader. They've always been slightly disruptive to the rest of those 50 <laughs> sovereign nations we call right. the United States. Right. Um, and so, you know, the cost implications, I don't know, are well, are well documented, and I think we're still learning from GDPR.
1: Right. And we're still learning from the California Consumer Privacy Act because it keeps changing and they keep, right, you right. know, it, it got passed really quickly because it had to be because it started out as an initiative. And then our legislators said, oh, my God, we don't want an initiative because we can't change it. So we're going to pass it, but then that'll give us a chance to change it. So, yeah, right now, you know, basically, for those who who don't know about the consumer, uh, Cal- the California Consumer Privacy Act, it basically gives us a right to know what companies have about us. Right, we have a right to say no, we don't want to give it to you. We have a right to have it deleted, and we have a right to download it and, you know, correct anything. And it's it's just um, it's very hard for companies to catch up with this. And there are limitations; not every little company has to do it but there are limitations and it's changing but i think i think uh, this you know with the explosion of identity theft and the feeling of you know lack of privacy we you know and then when we see what europe has done which is you know even a stronger version of the california consumer privacy act we're we're finding that yeah so you're never going to be out of a job that's for sure patty <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that's not a good reason to pass a regulation, but I do appreciate the job security.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we only have a couple minutes left, but I do want to talk to you real quick about, I know you've been to Israel, and there's a lot going on in cybersecurity and startups in Israel. So you want to just tell your thoughts about that innovation over there?
2: Yeah, so uh, it was a very exciting trip. Um, you know, I travel, I travel I'm i a globetrotter, I travel a lot, but I had never been to Israel, and so it was a, a tremendous opportunity. Tel Aviv is a hotbed of technology right now in cybersecurity. Um, it is just exploding there. Uh, I went with our um, our head of our uh cyber underwriting division, Kara Owens, and we went with a small group of CISOs and met with 32 startup companies, seven venture companies, and one accelerator. And it was fascinating, the amount of technology, and fascinating at where they are with the development. And in my mind, they're probably three years ahead of anything that's being innovated here that I've seen in cybersecurity in the U.S. Um, it's very exciting. Um, some of the advancements are, are that they they're impl- making.
1: How are they? Imp- are they doing? You know, um, privacy by design and and really building in privacy and te- and security into the new technology.
2: Well, what they're actually doing is building the technology that helps you build the privacy by design in your tech stacks and it's helping really go out and do the more automated data discovery, data tagging, data labeling, especially in the privacy arena and, and other regulated data types as well. Um, It, it, It's on like a seek, search, and protect or destroy, if necessary, certain information. There are some new technologies that have come out that, first time we've seen them anyway, Uh, we met with a couple companies just this past week that have... uh, the answer to automation of DSAR problems, the data subject access request. Mm-hmm. So when someone says, tell me everything you know about me, well, if you've got a bunch of legacy systems, you got to go poke around looking for the data. You might have to buy an e-discovery tool. This actually automates the process, allows the person to look at the data and make sure that the data is correct or apply the corrected data, which then, through a workflow and approval process will automatically update your systems. It's wow. fascinating technology.
1: Wow, perfect for the GDPR and also for the California Consumer Privacy Absolutely. Act. It's amazing. Well, we would you believe it? We're out of time. It always goes so quickly when I talk to you. Thank you so much, Patty Titus. We just, uh, just admire all the great work that you're doing, and you're such a real um, inspiration for so many women doing the great work that you're doing. So keep in touch, and we'll have you back again. Just give your website for Mar- Markel, okay?
2: It is www.markel, M-A-R-K-E-L, .com.
1: Thank you, sweet. We will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Marie. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9, Apple Minerva and KUCI.org on the web. Join us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock and visit our website, privacypiracy.org.